house. No, the right no, house. I didn't get We want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. I have four girls. One that hates me, two or three that are leaning that way. You look perfect. And your face is big and plump. Oh, I could just eat you. My up. face is plump? Oh, God. No, I didn't mean plump is in plump. You still looking for work? You're amazing. Tell that to your mom or even. I got the job. What job? With Denny as a production assistant. Oh, God. My Lord. I know that on some level this is way too soon and not right. What's the other level? I dial your number 10 times a day and hang up. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast gaslighting with positivity. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died and we're here to perform the autopsy. I am your host, Chris File, and I'm here as always with my four disapproving daughters, Joe Reed. Uh, do you have any idea what an idiot you sound like, Chris? <laughs> Meanest thing anybody said in that movie. Before we get into it, because we we have uh, multiple daughters and uh, 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 one overdue actress in particular to Indeed. really dive into that. Yes. I'm excited to talk about. Yes. Uh, we must talk about a problem in the community that I've been meaning to bring up to oh. you. Oh, And I finally remembered. Uh, we're having a... Sp- bat of listeners who can't tell us apart we love all gary's equally i've noticed this but i do have to pose this to the gary's at large are we that indiscernible from one another here's what i will say and this is somebody coming from somebody who um this is no judgment to any no, any listener who has I often do this of us, with, but it with, is happening a lot i often do this with twins right where it's like it's not that i can't tell who from who i can look at two tw- a set of twins and like i know how and and in what ways you look different please than don't each other say that we're sugar and spice please i please don't put that you're up. the one who brought that toxic into the community. you brought up twins <laughs> all right you maybe need to investigate the fact that the word twins now pavlovian pavlov pavlov like pavlovianishly whatever uh now who's sugar and spice um <laughs> brings that that mental image into your brain um no, but because what I'm you don't is, know how to say Pavlovian, um, I think that no, makes but, you the sugar and me the spice. No, but Pavlovian as an adverb rather than an adjective. What's the adverbial form of Pavlovian? Let's it's a, it's a, it's a bog we can't get into right now. Pavlovian esque. Um, yes. <laughs> um, but anyway, what I'm saying is, I can tell that they are different twins, but I still can't remember which different twin is which one. So I think people can probably tell like that we are two distinct voices, but perhaps thinks that this voice that you are hearing right now is the Chris voice and your voice when you start speaking is the Joe voice. So we need to, um, I don't know if there's beyond the fact of me being like, Chris, I'm talking to you, Chris. I am not Chris. You are Chris. Joe. Like, hello, Joe. Hello, right. Joe. Exactly. Um, I've had this problem with podcasts before, but not once I like get on a long enough 
trajectory. I think when I first started listening to like Fighting in the War Room, which was before I had met any of the principal uh, people on that podcast, except sure. for I might have not even met Katie. Yet. Four I is have... a lot of people, though. Two. Well, and for a while there, it took me a second to just be like, this is what a Dave Gonzalez sounds like. This is what a David Ehrlich sounds like. And this is what a Matt Patches sounds like. Do you know what I mean? And so. In fairness, we yes. are two age adjacent sure. white gays. <laughs> sure. As we look at each other on this Zoom, we're both wearing glasses. With rather similar interests. Right. Similar senses of humor. But you are sick and tired of getting the blame for the stuff that I haven't seen that I should have seen is basically the, the crux of this uh, discussion. <laughs> I have my own, my own faults to worry about. I don't need your faults placed on me. Um, yeah, no, I get it. I get it. I, 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 um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it happens uh, and no, no error on anyone's part. No judgment yeah. for anyone, uh, you know, confusing us, but, yes. but it's just interesting. Chris is the one who is usually, if there's a, if there's a, if, if you're wondering which of the two of us hasn't th- seen a thing, it's usually me. Like that's, that's, that's a good sort of rule of thumb. I think Chris, you have seen, um, in general, probably more things at a greater volume than I have. I feel like I have a lot more blind spots to catch up with. Mostly because you have more of a life than I do. No, I think it's because I think for a lot of my job, a lot of my job has required me watching television uh, throughout my career. Yes, I have the television blind spots that you don't You You have the luxury of being like, nope, don't care (laughs) about a lot of TV that I don't have the luxury of being able to do because of my job. as far as like, uh, you know, in my writing career goes like, Mm -hmm. television, it's just like, if you don't, if you're not already ahead of the, you know, wheel of cheese chasing you down right. the hill it's just well, like you, you you know you're gonna get squashed by the wheel of cheese even you know as somebody who like you who, have to be very ahead or you have to be very available to immediately cover things and even as somebody who writes about television for a living there's no possible way i can be familiar with all of it you know what i mean like i have huge sure. blind spots for stuff that's airing right now and there's no way of getting around that because i am one person and there are only 24 hours in a day but um Listen, so i can't I imagine been... Somebody who doesn't have to follow this for a living, like I'd much rather probably watch movies too. So you also I'm have an ability down a K hole of a Sex and the City watch, which is making <laughs> me be behind on other things. Uh, I'm watching old Drag Race seasons. I've 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 found myself watching old Drag Race seasons as a real true stereotype. Enough to catch your interest. I'm I'm on. Uh, season eight right now i haven't been watching them chronologically i'm sort of dipping into seasons as my fancy uh you know leads me so i'm watching rupaul's drag race season eight right now which is a very fun season i'm enjoying it very fun season bob one of like top three of all time for me i'm Even finding I myself wasn't rooting for bob at the time of that season who are like, you rooting now for? i love Bob. In Who were you rooting for? Bowl. Were you a Kim? I was rooting for Kim. Yeah, I love Kim Chi. I find myself being more uh, sympathetic to Thorgy Thor than I thought I would be. Um, at least in the early going, I feel like Michelle Visage is a little hard on Thorgy's uh, fashion choices early on. I think Thorgy's looks are all very good. Thorgy and Michelle doesn't. <laughs> is drama 
grouchy yes. in a way that you watch now and it's such a relief because like mm-hmm. season eight is when the tide was kind of turning in the fans that it's like we don't want fighting we want positivity well, blah 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 season and now eight, like this season mistress isabel brooks is an oasis is yes like, i will say season eight had acid betty who's whose brand of being a catty bitchy queen was just in a lot of ways unpleasant was in a lot of ways yes, just but like it's like so mean. surfacey in a way that like you sure. can't tell that she means it at all like she got the reputation of being the bitchy one but i'm like she doesn't mean any of those mean things that she says i maybe not all but uh like, but anyway I, I don't know if she ever did she ever get in a legit like argument or fight with someone i think she and chichi devane had some uh some words oh, with each other in peace Acid Betty's worst moment came on that one Untucked where she kept giving Kim Chi a hard time for being friends with Trixie Mattel and like was like super like legitimately insulting about Trixie Mattel's makeup and was like, you look like a clown. <laughs> like, while well, she wasn't even in the room, I was just like, what's going on here? Um, but uh, that's that's mostly what I remember. Anyway, we are far afield of the topic of... Uh, we're, we're here to talk about a different group of sisters. We are here to And talk a different about- mother. Uh, a movie about four sisters played by Evan Rachel Wood, Carrie Russell, Erica Christensen, Alicia Witt. Give us another example that a time that four daughters have all been mother. Like, <laughs> love all these actresses. I, I love all these actresses. I... Uh, it, separately i think i love them in this movie watching this movie again i will say and i'm wondering whether you had the same experience because we've both seen this movie before i've seen this movie like multiple times i hbo must have in in years decade but like hbo i think used to play this movie a lot because i remember Mm -hmm. watching this movie like multiple times like and that's usually how i would watch something that many times as if like hbo had it on a lot um I didn't like the movie itself as much this time around. I feel like I picked out a lot more of the weaknesses in the film. I think one of the weaknesses that we'll definitely get into is I don't think this movie writes the relationship of these four daughters together consistently or, or all that well. There's a lot of contrivance in this movie but there's also a lot of like sloppiness where it's just like what have you have you met sisters like do you like do you have any familiarity with like how sisters operate the movie is reaching for tone not you know uh interesting character dynamic i think that's right i think it's Um, also um and we'll get into the fact that like mike binder for all that i find frustrating with him Wrote this movie f- to give Joan Allen a star vehicle. And for that, we at least have to give him, you know, some props. And right, we'll get into right. the sort of the origin story of this movie. But I think what suffers in this movie is like, there's a lot of moments where I'm like, what is happening with these four daughters? Everybody is from the planet Neptune. In this yes. Movie. Yes. Um, we'll get no into one, it for sure. No one behaves like a human being does. No. Um, no. Well, I think the thing about the sisters in this movie is the movie is all about their individual relationships with their mother. Yes. And you really, really want to see some dynamic, any dynamic between these sisters. We know know that Even if it's just more commiserating over, isn't mom a real piece of work? But like, you know that they're close. We know that they're close. We know that, and they perform it as if they're close, right? They're very sort of affectionate with each other. There's always scenes with like 
two or three of them sort of like, you know, huddling together and, you know, sort of like taking in their mother, but also like dropping off Evan Rachel Wood at school, like two of the, you know what I mean? Like that kind of a Mm -hmm. thing where they clearly have a close bond. And yet there are certain moments where it's like, have you, have these characters not spoken to each other off, like in between the scenes that we are watching? Like, like Mm -hmm. there's a lot of moments where I'm just like, where like Carrie Russell will like come home from the hospital and it's like none of the other sisters ever visited her there from the way that like this is seemingly the first time they're seeing her since she's been hospitalized. And I'm like, well, that doesn't track at all. Right. Like it's like that, those kinds of things where it just feels also when you have this many siblings too, as someone who like was raised uh, in a four pack. Um, yeah. It's very weird that they have all these blow-ups with their mom, and there's never one other person there to, you know, play referee or play, you mm-hmm. know, uh, debriefer mm-hmm. to either the mom or the sister. I mean, there's maybe a few moments in it, but, like, no one's the that peacemaker. many siblings, yeah. it's every blow-up. There is right. someone else right. around. Right. Um, it just doesn't... And, like, my thing in movies is you will I'm the easiest sell in the world if you give me good sibling dynamics and sibling I love we love it all of these actresses and all I wanted to do was fall in love with their their you know sisterly bond and it kept frustrating me on that level and I did this was the first time I had ever watched it and compared it actively to mermaids um this is a movie that kind of scans oh. with mermaids a little bit well and that it's mm-hmm. only two sisters and mermaids Ooh. but it's also like Ooh. spiky mother daughter relationships and it's um you know I that don't kind think of think this movie comes off this movie comes off worse if you compare it to mermaids that's the thing like, and i think that's that was um that wasn't the only thing on my mind watching it this time but watching it again i definitely was like oh i definitely liked this movie a lot better a decade ago <laughs> than i do yeah. now i like Joan it's Allen, the same. Uh, a way more mid two thousands type of movie too, and mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. the movie thinks is funny, and yeah. what the movie thinks is like the audience wants out of a movie like this. Um, yes, it felt rather dated to me in a way mm-hmm. that is all just the texture of the movie and not the type of thing where you know people start breaking out razor threes and it feels dated right like, you know, right like like uh, somebody breaks out a clamshell cd case you know it's right not like that. pop culturally dated or, or yeah. uh, tchotchke related uh, uh dating yes um yeah we'll get into all of that we'll i'm sure we will take turns taking pot shots at Mike Binder. And um <laughs> But the thing we're here to talk about, yes. have we even said her name so far? We're I tried a second ago, but yes. Joan Allen. The great Joan the Allen. The great Joan Allen. Giving this was Justice sort of Joan Allen. This was a a really like this was a big moment for her career. Mm-hmm. And in many ways it also looks now in retrospect a little bit of a last gasp for her in terms of Joan Allen, um, film actress, because she had been her, she's obviously so well known. Do we want to do the Joan Allen thing before or after the plot description? That's We're going to do it after the plot description, okay. but okay. we'll, we'll just set, we'll set the stage. Set the stage. Least. We'll set the stage. So Joan Allen ahead of this movie was coming off of three, almost four, mm-hmm. I would argue Oscar nominations. Yes. Where she doesn't win 
some of those cases, there's like a real front runner ahead where she never really had a chance. We'll talk about like how close. <laughs> Speaking of drag race, we'll talk about second place, third place. Um, <laughs> In this season of Jesus second place. Fucking yeah. Christ. Um, yeah. <laughs> the only time it's interesting to talk about, well, who is about in second place, even though only one person wins, mm. uh, is the Oscars. Um, but there was a sense of inevitability to Joan Allen at the time, I remember, right. being like, well, she may not win this year, but she's going to win an Oscar. She's so good. She gets nominated all the time. She's obviously, like, it's only a matter of time. And it is a little bit of a reminder of, like, the, you know, the sort of ephemeral nature of these careers sometimes, especially, unfortunately, for actresses who, you know, reach a certain age and, and that are the roles – aren't there for them in Hollywood, which is a, which is a total shame. And, and Upside of Anger sort of represents the kind of tail end of Joan Allen as a major character in a movie. It really is sort of shocking the way it falls off from Upside of Anger to, you know, Bourne movies, which I think she's tremendous in the Bourne movies that she's in. Mm -hmm. Um, and then all of a sudden, ten years have passed, and she's the mom, and uh, she's Brie Larson's mom in Room, and you're just like, you know, where did this all go? And it's not like she had done a ton of television in between. She had done some, of course, television in between, but it's not like she had picked up like The Good Wife, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Where she's like starring in a series for ten years, and that's what she's been doing. Um, but we'll talk about the whole Joan Allen thing, the Steppenwolf of it all, and the Oscar mm -hmm. nominations, and all of that. It's a really interesting career. And um, and we love her. And we love she, her. She's I, great in I this would, movie. We'll, we'll dig into her performance more, too, mm -hmm. on the other side of the plot description. Mm -hmm. But I do think that she is wonderful in this movie that asks her to be maybe an un well a uh, person who does not behave like human beings behave. Right. Um, and I think she almost entirely on her shoulders makes this a very watchable movie. I agree. Um, I agree. But yeah, we love Joan. We do. And I, this is maybe only the second time we've ever talked about Joan Allen, or is it even the first time we've talked about Joan Allen? Hold no, on it's the second time because we did the ice storm. Yes, of course. In our episodes. But yeah, it's only the second time. So we've talked about the ice storm a long time ago. That was in our first 50 episodes. So um, it's been a minute since we've had a chance to talk about Joan Allen. It's this also is a the movie that's always been in our back pocket. And I feel like. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I've at least been pushing us towards like burning some of those off, like uh, the exotic. Yeah. Uh, yes, and I'm glad we're finally doing it. It's uh, it's going to be a worthwhile conversation to have. But uh, interesting, like I said, revisiting this movie after quite a long time of not watching it, and my feelings are different, but my feelings for Joan Allen are very much the same. In that, exactly, I love. Uh, we are we are uh, on the same wavelength this episode. Yeah, uh, I like that. <laughs> not not always happens. Uh, listeners, once again, we're here to talk about The Upside of Anger, written and directed by Mike Binder. We'll get into it. Starring Joan Allen, Kevin Costner. Kevin, <laughs> it was neat, Costner. <laughs> Evan Rachel Wood, mm -hmm. Carrie Russell, Erica Christensen, Alicia Witt, Dane Christensen. We'll get into it. And Mike Binder himself. Wait, are they related? Did I miss that? Are they brother and sister? Okay, let's just do this now. Okay. Is he the guy who plays uh, Alicia Witt's fiancé no. slash husband? Evan Rachel's 
Evan Rachel Wood's friend who crashes through their window oh, and her she little gay really friend. wants to fuck. He and he's just like, I'm gay. That is Dane Christensen, Eric Christensen's brother. Oh, I never realized that. Interesting. Yes. We'll talk about that. That's a bit, that's an interesting that's a that's an odd character. <laughs> this uh, whole little story. We'll, we'll get into it. Yeah. Um uh, the movie premiered at Sundance 2005 and then opened limited that March of 2005. Mm-hmm. Very early in the year. Yes. Joseph, yes. if you are ready, you are tasked with giving a 60-second plot description. Mm-hmm. Are you ready? I am ready. All right, then your 60-second plot description for The Upside of Anger starts now. All right, three years before Evan, Rachel Wood begins her little voiceover about the titular Upside of Anger. Terry Ann Wolfmeyer, a middle-aged mother of four, assumes that her husband ran off with his Swedish secretary, and so she begins a sabbatical from life that includes mainlining Grey Goose and spending time quasi-dating Denny, the, burning, the burnout former baseball player next door who now hosts a drive-time radio show where he doesn't talk about baseball. She has contentious relationships with all four of her daughters. Hadley is the oldest. She graduates from college. She gets engaged to and ultimately marries her college sweetheart and has anywhere from zero to two children. Emily is the second oldest, wants to be a ballet dancer, probably has an eating disorder, and is seconds. the most outwardly mean to her mother. Erica Christensen is Andy. She doesn't want to go to college, which Terry hates, but not as much Terry hates it when Andy starts sleeping with Denny's gross producer, Shep. Evan Rachel Wood uh, plays Popeye, who likes Denny as a match for her mom, and otherwise spends all her time <laughs> with a quietly reserved gay boy. Terry and Denny dance around, having a relationship for a while, and then one day they discover that Terry's husband didn't run off to Sweden. He fell down a water well in the woods Ten behind seconds. their house, and has been dead the whole time, and then the movie ends pretty shortly thereafter, with Terry and Denny together, and her daughter as incons- inconsistently written as they've ever been this whole time. Wow, with one second to Ooh. spare. Joseph, well done. Not Thank the plottiest movie? Not the plottiest movie, so it's that It's mostly helps. just like, what is Joan Allen getting up to now? Right. Uh, why, why is she uh, having an a unpleasant conversation with this daughter or that daughter? Uh, yes. What is the current sexual dynamic between her and Kevin Costner? Right. That is, I will say, a thing that held up for me, which is the this sort of uh, odds and ends chemistry that Joan Allen and Kevin Costner have in this movie, where as actors, right. they're very different actors. She is theater trained. She is, you know, very much inside her character. I can see Kevin Costner giving this sort of like loosey-goosey performance, but I think the the conflict between that works, right? Where she's mm-hmm. kind of, she's you know, letting it all kind of hang out a little bit in this, at this stage of her life where she's just like, I don't give a fuck. Denny, like, you know, you're around. Do I like that you're around? I don't know. I'm probably fine with somebody being around. I'm going to have this, you know, vodka tonic anyway. So might as well have you sort of be here in the room with me. I like the little, the little quirk of, they they were drinking buddies watching TV coverage of the invasion of Iraq together, which was just sort of like um, a thing. that is a that is a funny recurring bit. Yes, that um, may not be a bit, but it's yeah, at least funny. And I think the only sort of formulaic or sort of like expected beat that that relationship hits is it ultimately gets to the point where again, reminding me of mermaids, the point where. Kevin Costner gets mad that she's been treating him like shit this whole time. It reminded me of that mm-hmm. scene with they actually hit the same beat of like don't use my children to get closer to me thing that happens in Mermaids. Mm-hmm. Um where she's like don't use Popeye. Popeye is the uh Evan Rachel Wood character. Don't use her to um you know send me messages essentially about maybe getting married or whatever. And he resents her sort of like constantly you know 
belittling him or sort of just like, you know, putting him down or whatever. And that was the one which was just like, of course, this, you know, we're going to have that scene or whatever. But otherwise, I think that relationship has a satisfying shagginess to it where mm-hmm. there's no sort of like big declaration of love. Even the scenes where they're, they're, it sort of is, there's the scene where they're like stopping traffic on this sort of suburban <laughs> little street <laughs> and they're having this conversation, but it isn't, you know, it doesn't feel cliched. And she certainly doesn't have these big sort of like moments where he, she's, you know, laying out her entire uh psyche to him sort of uh in in a in a almost like a come to jesus moment about just like you know i want to be with you or whatever it's like it doesn't really do that it's they dance at the wedding a little bit and she's clearly you clearly see why she's comfortable with him you clearly see why she wants to be with him through her actions and through her demeanor and through the you know the way she says things rather than these big sort of moments and i liked that about that relationship. And I think Costner does give a good performance. His performance, I think, stands up for me. I was going to uh, ask what your thoughts were. I liked it a lot back then. I, I still really like it. I think they work very well together. I think this is Costner on a level. I think he's playing a little bit into his... Ob- he's obviously playing into that sort of baseball Kevin uh, era of his, mm-hmm. where he had made Bull Durham and Field of Dreams and For Love of the Game. They actually use a shot of For Love of the Game on that one poster that he rolls up in that one scene. So I like I like the fact that, that this does seem like plausibly like his character from Bull Durham uh, 10 years later or whatever. After. Yeah, I mean, it does seem a little bit like, wouldn't it be funny if we got Kevin Costner for this? And they did. And they and did. He ends up turning out maybe the best performance of his career. I do think he's really good and funny in this movie i just maybe don't like the character as written sure there's a little bit there is a little bit grating and maybe this goes back to the datedness of it that like this movie definitely thinks that full-blown alcoholism is like a fun character it's a fun quirk quirk. yes it does yes Uh, you know not like these are people who have a problem but at least they find each other and you know but there is something i find and maybe this is like problematic and bad of me there is something that i find slightly comforting about that that like we can have a movie where two people are probably problematic drinkers and we don't have to turn it into a movie about problematic drinkers it can just be like part of their character they they stop drinking throughout the yes. the movie so yes. like that's fine yeah. but like there there's a few jokes that i was like i don't know if i was their child i wouldn't love being in that situation sure, sure uh sure, sure. the way that i'm so told that these kids are like isn't it a little wild that mom <laughs> loves to drink at two in the afternoon right um right but the, as written like he would probably be profoundly annoying to me as an audience member if Kevin Costner wasn't so charming. Um, If he wasn't doing the good job that he's doing in this movie, yes, I think that mm -hmm. character probably becomes a problem in the movie. And I think it's both actors in finding their chemistry together Mm -hmm. are also leaning into what is incompatible about those characters in a way that does make it fun to watch. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Um... I think they are able to sort of patch over some of the screenplay flaws, of which I think this yeah. movie does have several. Starting right at the beginning, actually, there's that opening. The the framing device sucks, man. The framing it's device never a yes. surprise. The framing device sucks in in because the first thing you see is they're at the funeral. 
Uh, and you, they don't tell you whose funeral, but it, like, it doesn't take you very long to sort of like realize. I guess maybe you're supposed to think that like maybe it's it's one of the daughters because you only see it's the two of them and Evan Rachel Wood at the beginning, right? right. So you think well, plausibly it could be one of the other girls. It's but, you don't see Carrie Russell at the beginning, right? I mean, when you see a mother with her daughter at mm-hmm. a funeral in a movie, just the way cinematic language works, I think yeah. you automatically assume that the father is dead. And, like, that's normally what I thought yeah. any time that I've seen this movie. And then you get this immediate pivot to be like, he left me! So, you're thinking the whole time, oh, he's dead, but they right. don't realize it yet. And right. it really, it's like, it, it's plot holes you could drive a Mack truck through. The other thing, though, about that opening voiceover, beyond the fact that, like, the framing device is bad, is the thing where, like, she opens, this is Popeye doing the voiceover, because right. this is a book she's writing. What is, what's the other one recently, where it turns out that the movie ends up being this, like, really cloying sort of book that the character is writing? I feel like there was something All too year. well, ten-minute version, the short film. <laughs> no, but there was something... I'll, I'll think of it, uh, hopefully. But anyway... um. Where she says the thing about, like, my mother was the nicest person I had ever met. The mo- my mother was the nicest person anybody had ever met. I don't buy that as a thing. I get where, like, she no. is now, like, particularly, you know, uh, sour and jaded and, and into her gray goose and all of this stuff. But, like, she even has a line, and I wrote it down, too. It would be where- different and also, like, really good foundationally for the character if you're like, my mother used to pretend she was the nicest person you exactly. ever met. And so it's like, it's not like she used to be a nice person and now she's just angry all of the sudden. But there's but, like, a moment... She used to put on a veneer, especially in, like, the type of neighborhood that they live in. Right. Where it's like, she used to put on a veneer of niceness, and this happened, and she was done with that but there's a moment where one of the daughters and i can't remember whether it's alicia witt or carrie russell or maybe it's erica christensen it doesn't matter one of them says to her going into a situation be nice and she and joan allen goes it's not in my nature and i'm like yeah that i believe like that feels true (laughs) to the character more than my mother was the nicest person anybody had ever met before i'm like i don't buy that at all and i don't need to buy that i shouldn't need like that that's not necessary for for this movie to work you know what i mean yeah um, I think it's supposed to sell the idea that like this thing happened, her husband left her, uh, supposedly, and she took a turn. Like, yeah, I admit that, but like you you watch the relationships that she has with her daughters, and this is not like they are not reacting to her as, oh my god, you used to be so nice, what happened to you? It was like this lo- like for everything that I find dissatisfying about the daughters relationships to each other, I do feel like each one of them has an individual relationship to Terry in a way that feels that does ring true. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. those distinct relationships. Do you feel like the kinds of relationships that girls of that age would have with their mother, who is a little pitiless and a little, you know, sort of set in her ways. And so like, just toss out that little, like it's, it's one of those lines that sounds good at the beginning of the movie. It's the same sort of, it's white oleander, right? My mother was yeah. the most beautiful person anybody had ever met, right? Like that's, and it works there. And it's just like, you don't need it here. It just, it's, it's superfluous and, and bad writing and I don't like it. And Go off, King. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> no, like the, I, I, I still really feel 
strongly. Like, yes, the the character is presented muddily in a way that, uh, you know, Joan Allen is so hyper-specific in everything that it's just like, this is clearly a performer elevating the material. Mm -hmm. But the framing device just, like, makes you constantly question things all along. So it's like, Mm -hmm. we're told throughout that she is, that the husband is presumed in Sweden mm-hmm. with his mistress yes. and she's not going to call him she's not going to go into divorce proceedings because that would mean she would have to contact him we're supposed to believe she's that she's too man proud has, she's too angry yeah yeah not only you know abandoned his wife and his children but apparently is not in communication with a single person that knows him like professionally mm-hmm. etc it's real contrived yeah that nobody would try to reach out to this man, including his children, who maybe don't have as much anger towards him as his wife did. Mm-hmm. And by the time that, you know, we find him in a poorly covered well that he fell into, John yeah. in the Hole style, uh, yes. we're, it's it- just like, yeah, no shit. Like, it also does not track in the slightest that none of these four very independent and willful daughters would have tried to contact him on their own. Right. Or that, you know, there wasn't a credit card that was shared right. that, you know, the wife right. could see there have been Like, no this is pre-smartphone to. era, so I get where, like, not everybody is tethered right. to a phone. And, like, and the fact that somebody wouldn't be, you know, answering calls doesn't raise the same kind of alarm bells and people could have just like more easily maybe dropped off the map but but that three whole years pass yeah like if this movie was set in the period of a summer mm -hmm. you know it would just this is this is what 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 gets into my thing of just like they're not having conversations with each other that seem like the natural conversations that these characters as they are written and as they are presented would naturally have when Carrie Russell's in the hospital, you know, we see the moment where Terry makes an effort for a second to try and call the husband. And she gets a little pushback from like directory assistants in Sweden or whatever. And then she's like, forget it. Um, But like, it's, it's, it doesn't track to me at all that none of the other girls wouldn't have really pressed for, her to find like you to, to get the father to come home like our sister mm-hmm. is is in trouble and we're very close you know what i mean like that's the thing is if you draw these daughters as close then you have to follow through with that like you have right. to stay true to these characters that you've drawn and they would not just let their sister like languish in a hospital room without like mobilizing to and- do something if there's that closeness, too, in these circumstances, you would have them talk about their relationship with their father at some kind point. Kind of right? a lot, You could right? really patch over. You could find a way to patch over why they wouldn't be trying to contact them. It, only, it almost only makes sense if the daughters are a lot more devoted to their mother. Say these girls are like, have are so close to their mom and are so blindly loyal to her that they're just like, yeah, fuck dad, we're on your side. But mm-hmm. that's not how these relationships are drawn. You know what I mean? It doesn't yeah. it doesn't track. And yet I'm enjoying, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm still enjoying the fact of watching these interactions. I think all of the little individual interactions that Joan Allen has with these actresses are all really good. I do wish her and Popeye's relationship were drawn a little bit more specifically. That's a pretty vague yeah. relationship in the movie, which is too bad. All of these daughters are, like, categorized very, 
like specifically like yeah. Carrie Russell is has is a dancer has a really really bad eating disorder mm-hmm. uh alicia witt is the one who maybe gives the most pushback and upsets her mother the most by mm-hmm. not doing what she expects of her mm-hmm. um and then erica christensen is like having this affair and then all evan rachel wood is getting to do besides being a horny teen yeah is narrate like yes. she's just the one who sort of tells the she's, story. she's and, the like, one who's she's closest the least drawn yeah. character of all the siblings she's the closest with denny which i also think is is you know a good for the story and also like gives her a little bit of a character but yes in general she's the least um well-conceived character which is too bad even though again you get those scenes where and I think this is on the actors, right? I think the actors really do a good job of 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 selling the closeness of these girls. They're all very fond right. of each other. They all are, you know, sort of rallying for each other. And I would like more of it. Oh, here's the other thing. And maybe this is a, a thing where I was not paying attention, super close attention. But so we find out at Hadley is the is the Alicia Witt character. Hadley's mm-hmm. college graduation. We find out that she is pregnant and getting married to the guy. To a boyfriend that the mother has never met. And right. I don't believe heard of. <laughs> the next time we see them, it's the wedding scene. And uh, she's worried that she's she, they need to get married before she starts to show. And she gets upset that the mother says that her face looks plump and yada, yada, yada. And then I think we don't see Hadley again until that barbecue in the backyard where Carrie Russell comes home from the hospital, at which point she delivers the news that whatever her husband's name is and her are pregnant again. So I'm like, A, has enough time passed that they have had this baby? B, did she have a miscarriage? In either one of those cases, it's wild that we have just papered over whatever happened, whatever major life event. Again, Right, right. we don't see either event. I mean... Time is vague in this. Like mm-hmm. It, it's this. That's why I said the thing. This movie should happen over the course of a summer, not three years, because yes. conceivably it could have. Yes, like, there's no real reason why it couldn't. Yeah, I mean, you probably couldn't graduate, be pregnant, get married, have a baby, and but be is pregnant that again super necessary summer, but... for our enjoyment of the movie? I would argue that it's not. <laughs> yeah, like I just it was just like sloppy. There's it's just sloppiness, and it's right. and it's from it's. And I don't want to like stereo stereotype Mike Binder to be the characters that he often plays in his movies, right? I don't want to like graft that onto him, but it does maybe not help my conception of a writer director who doesn't get female to female relationships and maybe doesn't think he needs doesn't to. Doesn't write, uh, you know, gets these. Good, interesting actors together gives a real get like, platform to he Joan Allen, sisters. but like, yeah, clearly he has like five opportunities to write a female yes. character well in this movie, and it's zero for five. And yeah, especially the dynamics are not great. Um, but so let's talk about how this movie started because uh, Joan Allen, uh, her last of her three Oscar nominations, and we'll definitely get into the Joan Allen career, uh, is for the Contender. Uh, Which he has a either a small he role in. Yeah, he didn't. I don't know if he has any role in it beyond just being an actor in it. Um, uh-huh. 
So he's, I believe he's one of the president's staff. Don't quote me on that. It's been a while since I saw The Contender. I should probably watch it again because it's a good movie. Contender's um, a good movie. That's a movie that should be on TV all the time. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's a good cable <laughs> TV movie, I feel well, like. Well, there's so much uh, sexual innuendo in that movie that mm-hmm. uh, it would be a little weird on TV. But, like, why is that movie not on, like, Peacock or right. Steady Rotation? Totally, totally. It should be one of those movies that, like, why is everybody talking about this? Oh, because it just got added to Netflix or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Did I just say, why is that movie not on TikTok? I you said Peacock. No, you said Peacock. Don't worry. I oh, would not want to watch that movie I on TikTok. I said TikTok. See, <laughs> listeners, this is what happens with me. Is like, I speak too fast, and then that's, you know, I'll say TikTok instead of Peacock. That's Chris but, File uh, talking, by the way. The that's Chris File, like, and this is me. I'm Joe Reed. It's just, yes, I'm going to uh, throw yes, that in uh, every once yes. in a while. Uh, uh, what, what would the TikTok kids gravitate towards on The Contender? Um Jeff Bridges being intimidating yes. in a sandwich. Uh, ten times that Jeff Bridges was daddy with a late night snack. <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, he was so daddy for that one. No, like, Joe, like uh, what's her name? Uh, uh, Lane Hansen? Is that her character's name? Did I remember that after all these years? Conceivably, yes. Lane Billings Hansen. Yes. Um, no, she would be so mother for all of that. Absolutely. Um, oh, this has like literally the cast on Wikipedia says what everybody's character. He is her legal counsel. Mike Binder played uh, sure. Lane Hansen's legal counsel in that movie. So making this movie at one point, Joan Allen's like, you make movies, you write and direct movies, write, make, write, write me a movie. And he's like, okay. And he did. And so uh, a few years later, he comes to her, he apparently wrote this role specifically with Joan Allen in mind. And, um, you know, she was the first person attached to it. And, you know, I give him, I give him applause for that one. Like we need mm-hmm. more, um, you know, uh, whatever shitty male auteurs, not to like, again, like I use shitty as a, <laughs> as almost like a categorizer rather than an actual descriptor of uh, Mike Binder as a person. But you know what I mean? We need more of these, you know, uh, auteurs who get HBO money, sort of thrown at them for no reason to uh, write movies for our great actresses. And I'm glad that he did this one. He's an interesting character. I had totally forgotten that he wrote and directed that movie Indian Summer. Talk about a movie that like played on television all the time. Talk about a movie that I watched a shit ton in my childhood. Me too. Maybe none of Blank Man. Oh, he directed Blank Man. Damon Wayans and Blank Man. Never saw Blank Man, but yes, he directed. Back Blank when Man. I was a child, listeners, yeah. uh, especially uh, any young listeners, back when I was a child, we didn't really have that many superhero movies, so I had to like rest <laughs> easy on Blank Man, Meteor Man. Like, Who was Meteor Man? I remember Meteor that. Man was Robert Townsend. Was Robert Meteor Townsend. Man. Yes. Another movie I don't I do at least remember one scene of Meteor Man, which yeah. I wonder if I watched it now if I'm like, is this homophobic? <laughs> I don't know. But like I remember me and my sisters laughing our asses off at it. Yeah. That uh there's a scene where Meteor Man and the villain of Meteor Man they, they get like they turn into different people or something, or they like uh-huh. have different attitudes and something happens and they do like a walk-off Vogoff sort of thing. Wow, Meteor, Meteor Man. Man. Okay. Um, I think there's a, a yeah. It's 
Was it to uh, boss bitch this is by the type uh, of superhero movies we had at the time? Was it to boss bitch? Was that uh, was no no? Robert Townsend does not do a flip over. We um, are speaking to you the morning yeah. after the world has been changed by uh, Anitra and Marsha Marsha Marsha's lip sync on Drag Race. That was the greatest <laughs> thing I've seen in such a long time. It was so good. Um, anyway, You're, uh, you were very right to say that it had a great start, great ending, and then was just a total the episode. Yeah, of a challenge. The actual like, challenge in that episode was really bad, but it's bookended by one of the best mini challenges with the Vogue uh, ball, and then that lip sync, which blew my face off. It was so good. Yeah. So yes. Yeah. Um. But anyway, Indian Summer was on television every day. <laughs> like I watch that movie all the time, and that cast is really interesting in a very early '90s way. It's not one of those like. Mm-hmm big chill cast where everybody goes on and like has these like but it's like oh remember when you watched movies and like vincent spano was just the main guy <laughs> or like but it's elizabeth perkins and bill paxton and diane lane and uh alan arkin kimberly williams like this was the like heyday of julie warner remember when like i would watch like any old movie and julie warner was probably in it like that's the sort of moment and i really enjoyed Pink Indian power Song. ranger Forgive me, I forget her name. Amy Jo Johnson? No, you're yeah. thinking of Kimberly Williams. Um, oh, okay. Who is the daughter and father of the bride. She would have been too young to be an idiot. Somewhere. Yes. Um, although, speaking of uh, Amy Jo Johnson, Carrie Russell, which we'll get... Our, our second uh, listen, Carrie Russell movie listen. in like three weeks. As yeah. soon as I'm done with Sex in the City, Felicity, it yep. is on. There you it go. It is on. I am re-watching Felicity. Um, but so, I think the thing about Mike Binder is by this point, by the point of Upside of Anger... Most people, if you had HBO, you knew him as the writer-director star of the two-season, much maligned, and rightfully so, uh, comedy The Mind of the Married Man, which, in my memory, they had tried to pair with Sex and the City on the same night, which was not true. I went and looked this up, actually. I spent much of my morning trying to—there is no website, by the way, out there that just, like— puts up all the grids of HBO Sunday night programming through the years. I'm telling you, if somebody wants to do that and do that research and put that all up, you will be my favorite resource on the internet. I would, Joe I would click Reed to will you find all you. the time. This is Joe Reed requesting the HBO grid, not Chris File. Right. Joe Reed is me. the one requesting the HBO Sunday night grid. Um, but anyway, so it took me a while to figure it out. They paired it with, because it was usually the HBO would do a drama and two comedies on Sunday nights. Generally, that was the vibe. And so in its first season, Mind of the Married Man, both seasons it was paired with Curb Your Enthusiasm. It was Mind of the Married Man and Curb, like back to back. And then it's in its first season, those both aired after Band of Brothers, which is interesting. And in the second season, it was one of the Sopranos seasons. I think it was like Sopranos sure. season four. Um, Sex in the City was paired up. The show that I was thinking of was Arliss. Sex and the City and Arliss were a block for a while there before Entourage came along. Um, oh, right. Because didn't Sex and the City and Entourage overlap in its final season? Or maybe uh, not. That sounds about... Or did one right. follow the other? What year did Sex and the City end? 2002? Okay, so I think I think Entourage maybe was right after that. Anyway, regardless. No, not 2002. Because season four hugs 9-11. Um... Yeah, and it goes for like two more, three more seasons after that, right? Two more seasons after that, but season six was split. Yeah, I just forget when it. Ended. I would guess so it would have been like oh four, I, and five. which is when Entourage begins. So I think probably like one handed off to the other. But anyway, 
Uh, my point being, Mind of the Marion Man was like consistently one of the like worst reviewed HBO shows. Like all the critics who, you know, almost felt like after gushing about Sopranos and Sex and the City and Band of Brothers and Six Feet Under, like how do we balance off our street cred? We're just going to really dump on the Mind of the Married Man, and like rightfully so. It was kind of a, it was a uh, when show... HBO shows are bad, people really go in though. This is what I'm like saying: you, the audacity of you to even come here. It's I think it's I think it's to balance off that sense of like, am I just a shill for HBO? No, because I'm going to really hate this show, and sometimes it's deserved, <laughs> and sometimes it's not. Um. The little that I watched of Mind of the Married Man, I was like, not for me. Um, it was a show about a sort of sexist guy who is married to Sonia Walger, and he's got these friends and whatever. And it was sort of like positioned a little bit as the male sex in the city. And I don't want to watch the male. So, Entourage was too, but I yes. don't want to watch the male sex in the city. Um, so this show lasted for two years. And I think after that, everybody was like, oh, I don't want to maybe watch uh this guy's next movie and he ends up making the upside of anger a few years after that and i think maybe some people had forgotten by that point and he is a minor character in this so like i could see you making the decision to watch the upside of anger before even realizing that mike binder was part of this right um his character i will say has a little bit of that writer director disease where it's like this side character maybe doesn't need to be as prominent as he is but right <laughs> because to being... you know basically uh I don't know what the word would be, but to like run away with every scene, but mm. not like in a way that's good. Right. Uh, what's <laughs> I'm trying, I'm thinking of that line from Nope is like, what's a bad miracle? Like, what's a bad scene stealer? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that kind of a thing. Um, a scene robber. A scene robber. Right. Yeah. So he's Shep's, pro- or Shep, his name is hijacker. Shep. He's Denny's producer at the radio station. There's a lot of business at this radio station. This movie really believes that we kind of care about whether Denny starts talking about baseball on his radio show because also Denny, that is a podcast now. Oh, (laughs) million percent. Absolutely. uh, Yes. You know, it's like what, when Jerry Seinfeld talks about shit, that's not comedy. Yeah. um, I will say you can tell that this is an area where Mike Binder is writing from experience. You can tell that Mike Binder is somebody who listens to a lot of sports radio because there's that early scene where like Kevin Costner is being really combative with the callers. And like, I was like, yeah, that is the vibe that like a lot of these like sports talk radio who just like, you know, kind of can't stand the people who call in and, and, you know, yell at them about shit. And like, this is a, this is a world that I can, I would believe that Mike Binder knows very well. But so he's, Denny's producer, and then in this capacity, uh, Erica Christensen asks, uh, mentions to Denny that she wants to get a job because she doesn't want to go to college, and she applies for a production assistant job at the radio station. And Mike Binder's character sees her and like wolf whistle, auga eyes, like whatever. Um, <laughs> hires Roger her character. Hires her. Proceeds to like start like dating slash sleeping with her, which the movie, to the movie's credit, knows is gross. Um, and ultimately, that causes uh, quite a bit of strife with Terry. There's the scene at Hadley's wedding where he, uh, Shep. Um, the Mike Binder character walks up to Terry who has like been, you know, giving him cold shoulders and mean comments and all this sort of stuff. And is essentially just like, I don't care what you say. I'm going to keep dating your daughter. And she just like slaps the shit out of him twice. Repeatedly. And it's very fun. And I'm trying to like gauge how much the movie 
is on her side because he follows that up with this sort of monologue about like, here's why I date younger women. Cause they're not bitches to me, essentially. Like they're not like they right. appreciate me when I buy them wine and, uh, they, they're not, you know, embittered old bags like you essentially. And I'm like, the movie knows that he's awful, right? Like I just need to like make sure. And sometimes it's that like, uh, disconnect where it's like, he is the writer director of this and he's playing this character. Right. It, it feel, I think what it is where this weird kind of disconnect where you're constantly checking in with the movie yeah. is that yes, it does think that he's gross, but it feels like he wrote this gross character for himself to like have some fun with. Yeah. It also feels like, like you're having fun. We're not having it with you. She does take that moment to be a little bit, the way that Joan is playing it, at least, plays it a little bit chastened, right? Where she, like, he's given me something to think about a little bit. And she sort of takes a second to reflect on, have I become, you know, embittered and angry? Is that who I am? Is that sort of... And then there's that scene later in the supermarket where they run into each other after Andy, uh, the Erica Christian character, has dumped him. Um, where he, like, makes this, like, half-hearted, like, we should have a drink sometime and, like, have a conversation. She correctly clocks him as... Uh, you know, making a pass at her through that. And mm-hmm. um, I think she takes a little bit of her power back in that moment. And I don't know. I think ultimately the movie is decidedly on her side. And I just have to work through a little bit of that. Like, just, I, you're right. It's that checking yeah. back in with the movie and just being like, I think sure? it's also that uh, the movie doesn't really establish why. Erica Christensen is with him. I mean, maybe it's good sex and she just wants to have good sex. It kind of takes it for a given that a woman, that a girl of her age, who's sort of like, again, probably what, 20? Maybe? Yeah. Maybe like 20. If she's uh, like. She eventually is 20 because she is a recent high school graduate and specifically says she's not going to go to college. So, yes, she is maybe 20. And also, that's another thing, by the way, Chris, not to interrupt you. This movie. Again, going back into, like, what is time in this movie? Where it's just, like, she, like, one day is just, like, I'm not going to go to college. And it's, like, have you graduated high school? Are you still in high school? Is this the summer between high school and college? Have you just decided this now? Have you missed application season? What's going on? Is your mother just now finding out that you don't want to go to college? Did you start college and take a break, and now you've just decided you're not going back? What's the situation here? What has, but like, also, it, you feel the same way about this relationship, where it's like, okay, yes. so what are you doing here? Are you just trying to have some wild sex with this gross guy because you might be into that when you're young and whatever? There because scenes- eventually she dumps him and is like, yeah, thanks. But and also the I'm sex wasn't good, and I'm done okay. with this. Okay, well, I mean, I guess that would be a reason to dump him if, like, yeah. that's what Yeah, if you're not even getting good sex out of this guy, what is going on here? You've gotten, like, right, this right, also, right, this right. movie also does take it as a given that she, like, uh, got career advancement out of this relationship. And, like... He tells her, he's like, you're too good for this job anyway, you are better than what we do here. Yeah. Um... She's the star of her own little up-close-and-personal movie. But, like, yeah, there are scenes in this movie that seem to take place, and it's like, does is there anything that has existed before or after this scene? Does this movie, this scene just sort of, like, accomplish, it, again, it goes to, like, contrivance, right? Where it's just like, mm-hmm. nothing exists outside of, oh, I don't want to go to college, I want to take this job. And it's like, oh, okay. Um, 
Let's yeah. talk about Joan Allen's nominations. And let's. we should say near nominations. Well, um, let's start with the Steppenwolf of it all, because I love her. I love a career of somebody who really established herself as a theater actress mm-hmm. before. Like, she had been in movies like Peggy Sue Got Married and and um, some sort of uh, stuff in the 80s. But, like, the 80s is when she is, like, paying her dues. She joined Steppen- the Steppenwolf Theater Company in 1977. Uh, John Malkovich is there. Uh, Laurie Metcalf is there. She, I believe that's where she met her husband, who is Peter Friedman, who is Frank on Succession. I never get tired of finding out fun new things about <laughs> Frank from Succession. One of which is that he's Bridget Fonda's gay best friend and single white female. And now I find out that he was <laughs> married to Joan Allen for 12 years of his life and starred with her in the Heidi Chronicles. Um, but anyway, the Heidi Chronicles is the one that really kind of catapulted her on the stage, though, right? Was it that or was it Burn This? Burn This. Okay, so Burn This happens the year before the Heidi Chronicles. She wins the Tony Award for Burn This. She beats out, um, which was played on Broadway by Carrie Russell. Yes, she beat. <laughs> I'm trying to remember. Robot. I watched the the Tony's clip earlier today. One of the she beats out Frances McDormand for Streetcar. She beats out Glenda Jackson for something. She beats out. Blythe Danner for I can't remember the specific shows, but anyway, uh, was Blythe Danner also Streetcar? Because I think that's the Streetcar production that both the Stella and the Blanche were considered lead. Hold, please. Love when we can get into some Tony's history. I know it's two weeks in a row. Okay, <laughs> it's just like we were definitely not seeing theater then. You just know that we. Uh, okay, listen to this murderer's row of roles that Joan Allen defeats for Burn This when she wins the Tony. Uh, You were right. Blythe Danner played Blanche in Streetcar. Frances McDormand played Stella. They were both nominated as lead actress. Glenda Jackson was nominated for playing Lady Macbeth in a production of Macbeth. Shit. Oh my god. So they all get beat by Joan Allen, who is this, I would imagine sort of new and exciting talent out of Chicago, which sometimes they do. You know what I mean? Deanna Dunnigan. I guess Deanna Dunnigan was new and, you know, fresh or whatever. But she was like, <laughs> sometimes the Tony sort of fall in love with, you know, uh, what Chicago sort of sends them, which is very fun. Um, she wins the Tony, but then the very next year she's in the Heidi Chronicles, which I imagine if she hadn't won for Burn This, she wins for the Heidi Chronicles because that was like a huge thing. It had won the Pulitzer Prize uh, for Wendy Wasserstein. And... Uh, that year, give me a second, she loses to Pauline Collins for Shirley Valentine, which was the same year. So that's 1989. Pauline Collins wins the Tony for Shirley Valentine. And like a month or two later, the movie version of Shirley Valentine uh, opens and or at least like plays festivals. And she ends up getting an Oscar nomination for that. Um the other nominees in that category were Madeline Kahn and Born Yesterday and Kate Nelligan in Spoils of War. Madeline Kahn, Jesus Christ, this, 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 this Broadway history we're getting in this Glenda Jackson playing Lady Macbeth yeah. and Madeline Kahn in Born, in Born Yesterday. Yesterday. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Where is yeah. our fucking time machine? I can't, I'm, my yeah. head is exploding. But the Heidi Chronicles won the, the Tony for Best Play that year for Wendy Wasserstein and it was a big, big deal. There ended up being a movie uh, starring, I believe it was a TV movie starring Jamie Lee Curtis in the role as Heidi. Um, but that was sort of those two sort of back to back, Burn This and Heidi Chronicles, kind of uh, launched Joan Allen as this, you know, formidable talent. And then 
sorry, back to the Joan Allen filmography. So then she starts getting roles. She's the wife in Searching for Bobby Fischer. Um, she has a really good performance in that movie, actually. There's that scene that I always remember getting clipped where she says, oh, what's the line, too? Where she's like, he's um, talking about her son, and she's like, his good. And if you beat that out of him. He knows you disapprove of him. He knows you think he's weak. But he's not weak. He's decent. And if you or Bruce or anyone else tries to beat that out of him, I swear to God, I'll take him away. She's in Tucker, the Man in His Dream, which I believe she's also uh, the wife of the main character in that as well. She's Jeff Bridges' Mm -hmm. wife, I'm pretty sure. Uh, the big, and she's in Manhunter is the other sort of 80s role, which predates her, her, uh, Tony Award, but, uh, she's, I believe, so Manhunter- She's the blind character that starts I think that's dating right. the serial killer? Yes, I think that's right, yes. Um, I gotta see Manhunter. I saw Manhunter Man on TV one time when I was way too young to sort of, like, get it, so, like, I gotta see it again, because it really... Have you seen Red Dragon? Yes, I've seen Red Dragon. You're gonna you're gonna know all the plot beats, but, like... Yeah, well, and also Red I've seen Dragon Hannibal, the, the pl- TV show, which also, like, dips into that story. Uh, Red Dragon, the only good Brett Ratner movie. Um, <laughs> yes. It's, like, the popcorn version yeah. of that, and, yeah. like, Manhunter is, like, unsettling. Yeah, I, I, I definitely want to go back and watch it, because I was definitely... I was, like, legitimately probably, like, 10 years old watching it on TV when I did not... Probably shouldn't have been able to. Had no and, business. Right. Yeah. Anyway, 1995 is Nixon. That's her big breakthrough. Her first Oscar nomination. She gets a bunch of Critics Awards. She wins the Los Angeles Film Critics Award, the National Society. Um, She's a bunch of... Like, Chicago film critics naturally love her, so they uh, give her the first of... At least several, because she also, um, do they give her Best Actress for Upside of Anger, or is she just nominated for them? Let me look and see what she's won at Chicago while you keep talking. Okay, so anyway, Nixon, uh, she is kind of, in many ways, the critic's choice that year, uh, not to to coin a phrase, right, Um, for supporting actress. That's the year that Mira Sorvino ends up winning for Mighty Aphrodite, but that was a year that felt like... It could have plausibly, like, the narrative that year could have plausibly gone in a lot of ways. Mary Winningham is nominated for Georgia. Kathleen Quinlan is nominated for Apollo 13. And the, oh, Kate Winslet is nominated for Sense and Sensibility. So, Kate Winslet wins SAG and I believe BAFTA, too. And Mira Sorvino wins the Globe and ultimately the Oscar. And, but I could see a world in which Joan Allen wins for Nixon. That's a hugely acclaimed performance. That's mm-hmm. another one where... Anytime you saw a clip of Nixon, it was that scene of the two of them with her saying, you know, uh, I love you, Dick. It's taken me a long time to love you. Uh, you want them to love you and they never will. And that's that was the big sort of uh, clip from Nixon whenever you saw. At that, that point, people about. are really sick of Oliver Stone. Sure. Um, at least on an Oscar level, because he wins those two director Oscars back to back. And at that point, it's yeah. like, oh, and then... Nick and then uh not Nick JFK and then JFK happens right and by the time Nixon comes around it's like okay I think we're done here which is too bad because Nixon is a very good movie and uh she is in particular really tremendous um the following year is the crucible which is the one of the movies that is really 
tipped for big Oscar success. Everybody assumes mm-hmm. that that's going to be the front runner going into the end of the year. It's, you know, this big literary adaptation. It's Daniel Day-Lewis. It who is directed that movie? Nicholas uh, Heitner, who directed right. so the theater Right, so that's following director. up... Uh... Theater director following up uh, Madness of King George, I believe. Exactly, exactly. Um, and that felt like, you know, pedigree too, right? Because the Madness of King George got nominations for its actors. Winona Ryder is coming off of two Oscar nominations in 93 and 94 for The Age of Innocence and Little Women. Joan Allen is coming off of her Oscar nomination for Nixon. Daniel Day-Lewis is already by this point an Oscar winner. So it was uh, tapped to be a big, big deal. The fact that it still ended up getting some Oscar nominations is a testament to how much those expectations, like people were sort of like hanging onto those expectations because the movie itself really disappoints. It's part of that 1996 narrative where the the indies sort of took over, where mm-hmm. Eng- English Patient wins for Miramax. Secrets and Lies and Shine and Breaking the Waves and Sling Blade are all the big nominees that year. And Fargo, of course. And then The Crucible is... What was that studio? Give me a second. I think Fox. it was Sony. It was Fox. It was 20th oh, it was Century a Fox. Fox movie. Okay. And so she... It's still so surprising to me that Jerry Maguire didn't do better. As the lone studio movie up against all these insurgents, yes. That movie also made a shit ton of money. It did. And it was well-reviewed. It wasn't like this begrudging sort of, uh, you know, uh, uh, handout to the studios as a Best Picture nominee. People Mm -hmm. really liked it. But I think it was viewed as... um, I think it was probably viewed as a little light and a little sort of like crowd pleasy. And the English patient, especially when you have it up against movies like secrets and lies. (laughs) And then the English patient, which was this big sort of sweeping thing for as much as people sort of like, you know, there was a contingent that didn't like that movie and made fun of it. There were so many more people who found were really wrapped up in that. That's a movie that looked like an Oscar winner. You know what I mean? For as much Mm -hmm. as it was a Miramax movie and it was technically an indie, like that was a movie that had, uh, you know, an Oscar-winning sweep to it. So anyway, Joan Allen ends up being Joan Allen and the screenplay are the only real survivors of the Crucible when it comes to the Oscars, and she again is a runner-up for a lot of critics' awards that year and ends up getting the Oscar nomination. She loses, of course, to Juliette Binoche, uh, Count Chocula herself, as you have mentioned yes. many times. <laughs> Um, everybody assumed that Lauren Bacall was going to win. It ends up being Binoche. So, so that year, nobody really thought that Joan Allen was going to win. She was kind of, you know, happy to be nominated that year. And then we get into a couple, several years actually, where it feels like she's missing out on nominations that she should have gotten. One of which is The Ice Storm. Um, we've talked about that movie ages ago on this podcast. Really, really good movie. She's very good in it, but also... There are a lot of very good performances in that movie. So it's it's a little unsurprising that she gets overshadowed by Sigourney Weaver, let's say, and, you know, Kevin Klein and the younger actors. And ultimately, The Ice Storm doesn't get anything from the Oscars. Um, to loop back, uh, she did indeed win for at the Chicago Critics for Nixon and The Upside of Anger and then is nominated for both of her other Oscar nominations, Pleasantville and the ice storm. Yeah, the Chicago film critics, they're they she's she's the hometown. They girl. know what's up. Yes. They know what's up. Um she's also uh the wife of the whatever, the hero in Face Off, the guy who starts off as John Travolta <laughs> and ends up being uh, played by 
uh, Nicolas Cage. That was also in 97. But then she's 19... tremendous in that movie, too. Yeah. Like, she sells the reality, the emotional reality of that silly action movie I love incredibly well. Yeah. <laughs> she's movie. really, like, there, there was a moment, I, part of the press tour for The Upside of Anger included her talking about how she, like, I don't want to play the wife anymore. And she had been, there was a lot of movies that does, that, even her Oscar nominations, her first two, right? She's the wife in Nixon. Mm-hmm. She's the wife in The Crucible. She's the wife in The Ice Storm. She's the wife in Face Off. She's the wife in Bobby Fischer. And she had, was sick of it, even though she plays those roles so well and she makes those wife roles so memorable. Um, but you can see why she wouldn't want to be. It's sort of maybe the ultimate, uh, I'm sick of playing the wife, almost almost comes in the storyline of Pleasantville, right? So mm-hmm. Pleasantville happens in 1998. That's Was that... What was that movie? It has multiple nominations. The thing yeah. about... I mean, like, I get the Gary Ross of it all doesn't really make people... I would probably argue... There I have mean, been worse directors who have gotten their movies nominated at the Oscars than Gary Ross, I would argue. I mean, it's way better than Seabiscuit. Yeah. I mean, she... I think maybe Joan Allen especially really elevates that movie. And, like, the best parts of that movie are her stuff. I love like, Pleasantville. I'm a very, very big Pleasantville She's incredible fan. in Pleasantville. She's... And she, again... She's probably my winner for that year and she's gets major precursor attention she wins los angeles yeah. film critics she wins boston society of film critics she wins the critics choice that year for supporting actress this is the year judy dench won by the this way this is the year that judy dench wins for shakespeare in love yes so like joan allen ends up just getting shut out of the major the major precursor she's not nominated for the golden globe she's not nominated for sag she's not nominated for bafta and so she, as a consequence, is not nominated for the Oscar. And looking back, it just doesn't make practical sense to me. It is a hugely spotlight performance from an actress that you know the Oscars really love in a movie that Oscar voters were seeing enough to give what nominations did Pleasantville get? Can oh, you look please. that up very quickly while I monologue about this movie? I that think I it at least got a costume nomination. Yeah. Um it was nominated for three Oscars, score. art direction, costume design, and a Randy Newman score. Yeah, exactly. It's a very it's one of Randy Newman's best scores, I think. I think it's very right. evocative and very good. Um I love Pleasantville. It it baffles me that Joan Allen isn't nominated for Pleasantville. But so the counselor comes or they're not the counselor, the contention Joan Allen and the counselor would be fun too. Um <laughs> Joan Allen in Cameron Diaz's role in the counselor. <laughs> jo- no, 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 no. Joan Allen in Javier Bardem's role okay. in the counselor. You've got my attention. With the hair. You have with my the attention, costumes. sir. Yes. Uh the contender happens in two thousand, and all of a sudden this is a lead performance. This is the first real lead performance in a movie for Joan Allen. The critics love it. It comes out, I want to say, in the summer? When did no. It uh, came out in October. It was a TIFF gala. It was a, yes, you're right. It was a, it was a fall, but I feel like now I'm trying to remember how that year uh, laid out because it's a obviously DreamWorks movie. It's a DreamWorks movie in the year mm. of Gladiator. Yes. It was not their priority. There was also Gary Oldman drama. <laughs> there was, but like she gets nominated, Bridges gets nominated. I just I'm trying to in my memory in the narrative of that Oscar season, her acclaim happened earlier in the season maybe earlier in the fall and there was a moment where it felt like maybe joan allen takes this because this is her ascending to the level this was before everybody realized oh 
we don't have to be snobs about Aaron Brockovich just because it's a spring movie that was like a crowd pleaser mm-hmm. or whatever. Like we can appreciate this. Uh, there felt like there was a switch that was flipped at some point during the 2000 Oscar race where they're like, oh, we don't have to disqualify Aaron Brockovich and Gladiator just because they happened in the spring. Like, okay. Um, but so... That never happened for her chances in Upside of Anger, too. Right. Know. But, but we'll, we'll get into But that. I think in another year, I say this for a lot of the nominees of, and Best Actress in the 2000s. We've talked about the strength of that character. I think in other years, I could see Joan Allen winning for The Contender, Ellen Burstyn winning for Requiem for a Dream, Laura Linney winning for You Can Count on Me. Those are all performances that, in a different situation had the stuff and had the that little spark, right? There's a there's an angle mm-hmm. to it. And I think in another year I could absolutely have seen Joan Allen winning for the contender. It's a very dynamic performance. It's a very like in the year 2000 in an election year, there was this almost like forward forward thinkingness of it is just like, you know, what if a woman was vice president and they tried to take her down for a sex scandal? It feels very sort of like proto-Hillary. Because wasn't Hillary running for the Senate that same year? Didn't she, like, immediately Maybe. run for the Senate? Maybe. Now I'm going to take a pause. Hold on a second. <laughs> we are covering the whole. The bases. whole conceit of the contender, though, is... Because uh, this is also interesting, I think, uh, politically at the time, is that, like, she she decides to take the tack of she will not justify these allegations with a response she's just not going to acknowledge it right um and then like spoiler alert the twist of the movie is that's not her in the in the photos that they're trotting out the movie kind of like chickens out a little bit The, the movie chickens out a little bit because her principled stand ends up being like well she's not really guilty of anything but it's like you know uh what should she have to to feel ashamed of anyway chickens out maybe but like she it, the the line she has uh, of saying that it's not her is good in oh yeah the way that it's like it's not actually sex shaming the woman yes. that it is right she's like she has it's either like she has a birthmark that i don't have but like yeah i, I think she maybe like compliments the woman's body or yeah. something uh you know Anyway, yes, Hillary Clinton was elected to the United States Senate in the year 2000, right as her husband was getting uh, was exiting the White House. So, uh, yes, so there was a lot of obviously and obviously a lot of the Clinton scandal mindset there, too, of like sex scandal shouldn't matter. And, you know, this is privacy and all this sort of stuff. For a movie that at the time felt like it was overtly winking to something Mm -hmm. and, you know, feels like, you know, the politics of 20 years ago, it holds up remarkably well. Yes. I, I watched it during the pandemic and I could not tell you why. Yeah. But... Yeah. Uh, and then she doesn't make, she's not in a feature film again until that Campbell Scott movie off the map in 2003. But I want to mention that during that, mo- during that uh, time, she is in the 2001 TNT miniseries, The Mists of Avalon, which was that King Arthur <laughs> sort of uh, uh, mythos. Is this when you talk about uh, your experience at the library? 
maybe I was already by this point I was in college, so I was I had not worked at the library uh, for a couple of years by this point. Got it. But I was Got kind it. of obsessed with this TV movie. Uh, Angelica Houston, Juliana Margulies, and Joan Allen play these sort of like the three women of Arthurian legend, right? Where uh, uh, Angelica Houston is the Lady of the Lake, and uh, Julianne Moore is. Um, uh, essentially, like Margulies. Morgan Le Fay, she's she's Morgane, she's uh, Arthur's sister, and sure. Joan Allen is uh, her sister Morgos, who is sort of the villain of the piece, and um, it's Work. it's it's very um, sort of uh, you know your 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 Wiccan friend's favorite book kind of a thing, um, Slay. love it, you know whatever like the the mystical sort of like the power of the feminine, you know. Whatever. I was a huge Tori Amos fan at the time and still am. And so, like, this was very much like connecting to my, like, Tori would have probably really got, been into the mists of Avalon. Um, but anyway, that was, that was sort of what Joan was doing in between the contender and, you know, being back in movies like Off the Map and The Notebook. She's in The Born Supremacy, her first appearance as CIA director Pamela Landy, one of my favorite sort of, um, government functionary performances in a in a you know sort of political intrigue thriller i think she's so incredibly dynamic in those movies uh i i look forward to seeing her every time she's in one of those movies she ends up being in also ultimatum and i think very briefly in the um the jeremy renner one the born legacy i think she's She's like credited with it yeah she's in it for like i think very briefly but anyway um, and then she's in that Sally Potter movie, yes, that I've never seen. Um, <laughs> I remember being in the theater, could not tell you what I was seeing, but we had the trailer for Sally Potter's Yes. Yeah. And it was just the end of the trailers. It like covering the screen, it was like just yes. And someone, as it goes dark from that trailer, goes, no. Yeah. <laughs> You're kind of asking for it there. Um, that was the movie where the dialogue was entirely in iambic pentameter. That I remember reading about that. That it's it's obviously Sally Potter, the director of Orlando, um, who only since yes, the only other movie of hers that I ever that I remember even hearing about is Ginger and Rosa, a movie that I really like quite a bit. Um, I never saw yes, but that was the, supposedly this sort of uh, Joan Allen uh, is sort of off the hook sexually, right? Where she's, you know, she's having a lot of very sort of, uh, she's experiencing the feminine pleasure of sex kind of a thing. And, and she it, should be allowed to do so. Right, right, exactly. Like, I have sex and I enjoy it. Like, uh, <laughs> what do you say about that, Senator? And he say yes. Uh, he's saying yes, exactly. Um, and then the upside of anger happens the year after that. And that, as I have said before, is kind of... A little bit the end of the line, which is a bummer. After that, sadly so. She's in that movie Bonneville, that sort of road trip uh, movie Bonneville with her and Kathy Bates and Jessica Lange that I never saw that only exists kind of as a poster to me um, that like barely got a release. Do you remember ever hearing about Bonneville? No, but it sounds like deeply my shit. So I should watch it. We should check it out Um, at some point. Um, Actresses of a certain age on a road trip. I mean, come on. Yeah. She, but then it's like she's in again. She's in uh, another Bourne movie. She's in Death Race, playing again this sort of like she's Your the crown. villain in that one. She's you know the 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 functionary. She's the prison warden in Death Race, 
And then again, even when she's in Room, which was a Best Picture nominee, and she has at least one great scene, the haircut scene, Mm. you know, she never, I mean, the movie never really spotlights her like you kind of want it to so that Joan Allen can have a moment. Yeah. But she never showed up, I don't think, anywhere in the whole race for that movie. And it's Mm. like, maybe she needs one more scene in the movie to get that type of recognition. Yeah. Um, Um, Room is, again, a decade after The Upside of Anger. What was she doing in between? She was Emmy-nominated for playing Georgia O'Keeffe in the television movie Georgia O'Keeffe. That definitely happened. I remember that uh, that movie, but I definitely didn't watch it. Um, And then it's like, she'll just show up on a TV show that doesn't really get a ton of attention. She was in luck. Like Lisey's story. Well, right. Like, but like, oh God, Lisey's story was the Nadir. She was in luck for a few episodes before that movie killed some horses and, and, or that show killed some horses and got ended. She was in one of the later seasons. She was in the, I believe the, the Netflix season of The Killing that I watched for my job. Um, and she's good in it, but she's like, she's whatever, the headmistress of a, of a military boarding school. She's a, she's a, uh, the, uh, she's a military colonel, I believe, in charge of this like military boarding school and there's a murder. And, uh, um, she's in that Shondaland show, The Family, that nobody paid attention to whatsoever. That it was, I believe, a mid-season replacement for ABC that like came and went. It was, uh, her and Allison Pill and she's the matriarch of this family and there's a murder and uh, nobody cared. Um, and then, yeah, Lisey's story, the Stephen King adaptation that I watched a couple episodes Pablo of. Pablo Lorraine. Pablo no Lorraine. Look, the talent in this thing, again, Pablo Lorraine uh, directing it, Julianne Moore, Jennifer Jason Lee, Joan Allen, all playing sisters. Clive Owen is also in this. It was bad. And I, and that was around the time where, what was that other? The Outsider was that Stephen King adaptation on HBO that was kind of junky that I really actually kind of loved. And is like, that watched... the Cynthia Erivo one? Yeah, Cynthia Erivo, Jason Bateman. Um, really good, actually. I really very watchable, and I watched, and that was around the same time. And like, Lisey's story was the one was just like, uh, it was frustrating. It was very frustrating. Lisey's story came out probably a couple years after that because The Outsider was definitely pre-pandemic, and Lisey's story was pandemic. Um, but yeah, Joan Allen has kind of receded away a little bit and the it's it's surprising to think back on that golden age when it really did feel like it was only a matter of time before she wins an oscar and we are past that and now maybe you know you never know what kind of role could come around and get somebody a later in life oscar opportunity it's not like she she's still working you know what i mean she's still uh she's what in her 60s so it's not like you know it's not time to put her out to pasture or anything like that just like somebody give her she's been back tremendous in plays she was in the the waverly gallery in 2018 uh elaine may is the one who gets the tony award for the waverly gallery but you know there's 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 still time to give joan allen the role that will give her that oscar that i believe she richly deserves so for Upside of Anger, though, she gets a Critics' Choice nomination. She's nominated against 
all of the eventual Oscar nominees. So it's you can kind of conceive it in that avenue there that, you know, she was an outlier yeah. for it. But like the spring release thing definitely held this movie back. I do wonder if there is maybe a different story, especially for how shaky this best actress year was. It was considered weak at the time. I think we still kind of consider it weak. Read out the nominees. Even to the point that like Kira Knightley, yeah. who I who would be probably my vote, was somewhat of a surprise nominee. Yes. Uh, for that movie, I think a lot of people um, didn't think that she would make it to the finish line of that. That she got all these precursor nominations, but she's young, mm-hmm. and you know, it's a costume drama that didn't really like you know set the box office on fire or anything like that. Did she miss it, SAG? She may have. I don't think she ran the whole season. Maybe she wasn't Globe nominated. Something. Um, Hold on, I'll look that up. You know, uh, Dame Judy is nominated for Mrs. Henderson Presents, which didn't necessarily... We don't want to take anything from Dame Judy, but, like, there wasn't a ton of enthusiasm around that movie. Right. Except in my household, because uh, Mr. Hoskins is in it. Um, <laughs> it got a costume nomination, too? I think that's right. That was a Weinstein Co. movie, it though. Was. Yes. North Country was kind of very coldly received, but still gets those two Oscar nominations for actresses who had previously won. Yeah. Sorry, I'm going through Kira Knightley's. She was Globe nominated. Let's see, SAG. Come on, SAG. She was not nominated for the Screen Actors Guild Awards. So there you go. There you go. There you go. Yeah. And Reese Witherspoon kind of essentially runs the season with Felicity Huffman considered uh, the the Lucy LaDuca second place Stop it. of, uh, I guess, the season. Um, that Felicity Huffman performance is obviously one we uh, keep at arm's length at the closest, if possible. But it's interesting because... I wonder what that movie's fate would have been if she wasn't exploding at the moment because of, of Desperate, Desperate Housewives. Housewives. Yeah. I should say for the SAG Awards that year, it was uh, Zhang Ziyi for Memoirs of a Geisha. Got Who the... I think is the more probable sixth place. Yes. Than, than Joan? Uh, yeah. Oh, than yeah. Joan. I would even, I would maybe say even Naomi Watts for King Kong. Yeah. I could see that. Is a conceivable sixth place. Yes. Yeah, probably true. Yeah, there just did not seem to be a whole lot of enthusiasm for Upside of Anger as a movie. And, you know, good on the critics' choice for giving that nomination. But sometimes the critics' choice will give a nomination to somebody. And it's like... They also nominated Costner in Supporting Actor. Sometimes they'll have a a nominee or two that will come out of the the predictions discussion rather than the... uh, I don't want to say rather than the evaluation of the movies themselves, because that makes it seem like, you know, nobody who saw the movies would have ever nominated this. But sometimes it feels like the Critics' Choice Awards are in are in, uh, are in in dialogue with the predictions discussion more than they should be, I think. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Where they are sort of responding to that rather than responding to, I don't know. I don't know. You know my problems with the critics' choice. Well, I mean, the other thing kind of keeping her in the race, too, I mean, when a race is not considered as competitive, I think a lot of people who maybe have less of a shot are Mm -hmm. considered more uh, thoroughly 
simply because there's just less competition. But she also wins a bunch of regional uh, critics. Like we mentioned Chicago. She won San Francisco. What else am I seeing here? Iowa. Sure. Not exactly the most uh, influential on the Oscars, (laughs) but it's the type of thing, especially I think we used to take regional critics wins more seriously Definitely. in the mid-aughts than we do now. Yeah, we don't you don't hear about them at all ever anymore, which is No. Um Yeah, for better or for worse. And that's partly because we had like print magazines like EW being like here's all of the possible contenders for best actress mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. these are I remember there were certain years that they did like grids of, yes. of who's won certain totally uh, prizes and such and it wasn't just New York LA National Society that we talked about well and at some um, point all the regional awards sort of started giving their prizes to the same people that the national awards were right. and it's just like okay at what point do we need to ma- mention the fact that like Kate Blanchett won the San Diego Film Critics Awards for Tar. You know what I mean? Like, wh- right. wait, now I want to see if I got that At right. what point do we need to say that, you know, Everything Everywhere won in Branson? Oh, sorry. Um, I was, uh, I, I slandered the San Diego Film Critics. They did give their award to Danielle Dudweiler for Till, so good on them for that. Good for them. Good for them. Okay. Um, sorry for that uh, uh, snide remark, San Diego Critics. Listen, you, you understand the temperature of what we're saying. I do, um, yes. Uh, the Upside of Anger was also a Best uh, Grown-Up Love Story nominee at the M4G's, Lost to the Family Stone, also nominated to two Chaos picks, uh, one thing called The Thing About My Folks, uh, between a love story with apparently Olympia Dukakis and Peter Falk. Sure. We love them, sure. so no we support their love, there. yes. <laughs> and two for the money between Rene Russo and Al Pacino. Sure. Who directed Two for the Money? Hold, please. This is a very hold, please happy yes, episode. I'm happy with that, yes. Two for the Money, directed by DJ Caruso, written <laughs> by Dan Gilroy. Brittany Russo's husband. So there we go. That uh, go. It all fits. Yes. One of our other faves, uh, Upside of Anger, was uh, one of the National Board of Review's many films getting a special recognition for excellence in filmmaking along with cracks knuckles this is the way before you go into this this is the pre before they started giving top 10 this is we have tables to sell at our event but this was before they started handing out the doing the list for best indie films right this was sort of a precursor to that a little bit uh yes i do not see that there and these are all pretty much independent films you could argue that well, Hustle and Flow is included in here. Hustle and Flow was distributed by MTV and Paramount. Okay. I don't know if it was produced by them. Right, but largely these are sort of the smaller, more under-the-radar movies that they are right. trying to, again, sell tables for. Yes. Besides Hustle and Flow and The Upside of Anger, the also the additionally included films were Breakfast on Pluto. Neil Jordan. Uh, something called Cape of Good Hope. Never heard of it. Uh, the Jonathan Safran Foer adaptation, Everything is Illuminated. Right. We, directed by Lee F. Schreiber. We have to uh, do Everything is Illuminated at some point. Because what a what that a trailer. What a peculiar Oscar story. Where like it really did feel like the early, early predictions were all like, well, obviously everything's illuminated. It's going to be it was such a popular book. Right. And right. it just it it disappeared upon release. It, it disappeared because I think it was released like that September. It did some festivals and mm-hmm. didn't go well at the festival right um other films june bug the wonderful june bug wonderful yes layer cake 
Lord of War, which I think might be something like Lionsgate or Sony, but that was another one that I was like, I don't know if that's... That's Andrew Nichol, right? Yes, yeah, the Gattaca guy. That was a Lionsgate movie. Yep. Ah, there you go. Yeah. Nine Lives and uh, The Dying Gall. The Dying Gall, the Craig Lucas movie, The Dying Gall, which I definitely watched and was... With Patty and uh, Peter Sarsgaard. Patty Clarkson, Peter Sarsgaard, Campbell Scott, Elizabeth Marvel. Elizabeth Marvel and Bill Camp. Oh, it does the... It gives Is that you where they met? The double. Well, let's see what the, what year they were married. They were married in 2004, so they were already mm. married... Uh, they were married probably the year that they that they made this movie. So I would imagine they were already together by this. But anyway... That's a movie about somebody's, uh, there's obviously gay shit in that, but it's like sinister gay shit, right? A little bit? Maybe. Maybe. I, can, I don't know if I need to see that movie again, but maybe I, I need to I think it's bisexual the... shit, not gay shit. Well. And at this point in the aughts, bisexuals were seen sinisterly. <laughs> Probably true. The Catherine Trammell. Because Tremel, we not uh, to realize yeah. that, you know, yeah. this is, a, this people can just simply be bisexual. In the aughts, people were like, it's already enough for us to accept you I know, you as gay. I know. You can't like, be straddling those two lines If there. you're bisexual, you must be evil and deceptive. Yeah, 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 exactly. God. Exactly. Honestly, though, sometimes those things ended up being, like, sexy little provocations. Sometimes. Where they, like, I do enjoy a, a sinister queer every now and then. They, uh, <laughs> I do enjoy the energy that they bring to a movie. So, uh, more, more, more. Please welcome to the stage, Sinister, <laughs> sinister Queer. queer. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, an interesting uh, <laughs> list of movies for the NBR's. Special recognition for excellence in filmmaking, C. Montgomery Burns uh, Award for Outstanding Achievement in the Field of Excellence, uh, National Board Review. Here, here's my question, uh, not to be like second place, third place. When do you think she Lucy LaDuca has broken winning? you, by the way. She has absolutely thoroughly I broken you. I hate the second place discussion. It's not just her. She's been the no, worst of but it, but it's not just her. It's been a thing her. in season 15 of Drag Race and it's super annoying. Second place does not exist in a Who challenge. cares? Who cares what second place is in that show? Like, second place isn't real. You are either win, you go home, or yes. maybe you lip sync but don't go home, but then everyone else is everyone else. This is, there is no second place. This is the, uh, I looked at Wikipedia progress charts too much when I was preparing to go on Drag Race uh, effect. Yeah, and like, anyone can make those. Yeah. I could say that Selena's titties was second place every episode. Um, anyway, <sighs> what were you going to say about the National Board Drives of me <laughs> crazy drives me crazy um second place second okay what uh how what do you think she was the closest to actually winning an oscar for and would you have voted for her any of joan allen's three nominations i will say she would be my winner for pleasantville yes unless there is something that i am forgetting wait i'll bring that up while uh while we are talking about this i do feel like she was probably the closest for Nixon, probably it was her or Winslet were probably in second place for 1995. I would probably argue it was Winslet. Probably. But I think Alan got, uh, probably got her share of votes that year. I certainly think she was closer that year than she was for the crucible in 96. And I think for the contender, as good as that performance was, I don't see her getting higher than 
I think third is the ceiling, and I think she was probably fourth. Uh, even fifth. I could see her being fifth that year. I could see Binoche getting votes for Chocolat that that uh, got higher than Joan for the contender. Uh, I think we're of the same mind, but I don't think she was ever above third. I think that's probably... I could see that being the truth. Um, Which is like... Un- I mean, she's like great at everything. Yeah. But... Uh, uh, you know, you want her at least to be that solid second place. All right, but my 1998 Best Supporting Actress list. Oh, it's a barn burner. Oh, Christopher, you're going to love it. <laughs> you're going to fucking love it. I need to go back and like make a real project this year of having lists like you do of what it would it's be. It's very fun to be able to go reference. I will say, like my sixth place that year was Patricia Clarkson in High Art. That is how good this list is. Uh, see, may, would I give it to Patty over? I might give it to Patty over Joan that year. In your first place. You think overall first place is Patty Clarkson in, in High Art. She's great. Maybe we should do a High Art. Okay. Episode okay. This year, twist my arm. My uh, my top five supporting actresses for 1998: Joan Allen in Pleasantville, Kathy Bates in Primary Colors, the only Oscar nominee on this list, uh, Lisa Kudrow in The Opposite of Sex, great call. Tony Collette in Velvet Goldmine, one of Excellent my all time favorite performances, and Kate Beckinsale in The Last Days of Disco. Supporting, yeah, interesting. I think ultimately, if you have a lead... I mean, it ultimately is Chloe Sevigny's movie, but I don't know if yeah. I would go that far to say she's supporting. Uh, I think so. I think I'm. I think I, I think I'm in the right there. But uh, okay, tremendously strong, list. tremendously strong supporting actress year. I love the 1998 stealth great year for movies. Like we don't talk about it enough. Well, because I think the greatness of, like, movies, even, like, something like Thin Red Line, which, like, it's kind of a miracle that Thin Red Line has the Oscar nominations that it does. Like, I think what's great about that movie year is not Oscar-friendly in any way. That's also what I felt about this past year. What I love, Thin Red Line is a movie that frustrates me as much as I enjoy it, but... One of the things I love about the, get, it getting that Best Picture nomination and Best Director and the nominations that it got was there had been a sense that year that it was either or. That you it was either going to be Saving Private yeah. Ryan or The Thin Red Line, and one of them had to go, and it was probably going to be uh, Saving Private Ryan was, was going to be the victor there because it was the big box office hit in Spielberg, and it's more of the Oscars taste, and yada, yada, yada. And I love that those nominations at the end of the day were like, why not both? You know what I mean? There is no reason why we cannot nominate both of these movies. They're both doing vastly different things. And and I like I would probably that. be a down ballot voter for Thin Red Line, yeah. to be honest. I would probably I would have voted for it in score. Now. That's probably the extent of it. Um but I wouldn't have voted for it in adapted screenplay, I will say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh but a f- phenomenal Hans Zimmer score. Wait, what are my score nominees that year before I get out of nineteen ninety-eight? Um Thin Red Line, Pleasantville, Randy Newman. Uh, that Run Lola Run score for I I would need to figure out how much of that was original, but like mm-hmm. all of that sort of like technical. That's another Tom Tickver, along with Johnny Klimek and Reinhold Heil, who did the score for Cloud Atlas. So, um, that works for me. Uh, the the John Williams Saving Private Ryan score is very good. The Out of Sight score I think is very good that year. It's a solid year. All right. 
What's up? Should we move on to the IMDb game, or do you have anything else to say about Joan Allen or the upside of it? Let me refer to my notes very briefly. I think we got onto everything. The part in the beginning where she grabs the third bottle of Grey Goose, I uh, I feel that. Um, ba 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 ba. Stopping local traffic. Oh, I wrote this greasy ass wedding band that was performing <laughs> at Hadley's wedding, which did sort of like. The, I don't know. They were they were performing uh, Betty Lou's Getting Out Tonight, which is one of my favorite Bob Seger songs. So there's at least that. Um, the whole thing about Hadley being pregnant, yada, yada, yada. Peter Friedman as Joan Allen's real-life husband. Yeah, I think I got it all. I would kind of love it if uh, Kevin Costner had gotten more credit for his performance in this movie, even if I don't love how the character is... Yeah, I think Costner's excellent in this movie. Yeah. It's kind of a weird moment for Kevin Costner. This is also, we've talked about Rumor Has It, a movie that is kind of top to bottom awful. Mm -hmm. But, uh, I mean, Kevin Costner uh, is coming off of kind of licking a few wounds. This is not very far out from like the postman being horrible. Well, and he had made open that range being a surprise late summer hit. Yes. Open range was kind of a little, uh, was a rebound for him in that way. And I think that sort of like set him down the path of like only Westerns. I will only invest myself uh, in Westerns. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's how we consider him, but it's not ultimately true. There's Molly's game. There's hidden. Oh, figures. no, I just mean, like, I think, I think him, I think anytime you hear, you talk, you hear him talk. I think those are the only things he really like enjoys doing at this point. Oh. <laughs> our Westerns. He'll, he'll be in other things. He'll get cast in other things. But I like, I think if you gave him a chance, a choice between like, you know, Yellowstone or, uh, or Molly's game, he would probably be like, yeah, I'll just like send me, set me, set me out into the range and I will, uh, you know, whatever. Madonna was mean to him. I just, and he I like him in this mode so much of yeah. like, maybe troubled isn't the right word, but like, and rascal isn't the right word. He's a like, burnout a little bit. He's sort of, uh, I like him as a burnout. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I feel like, if he doesn't have the weight of I have to be stoic, iconic male, mm-hmm. or you know, I have okay. to be everyone's father. Can we also though? I think he's a really loose and interesting actor. Was it last year that he presented Best Director and went on for like ten minutes in that presentation monologue about like what like Jane, he, he presented to Jane Canyon? Yeah. He was, it was, and a lot of people at Twitter were sort of like you know shaving him for that and whatnot because of course like. You know, the gay children aren't going to get Kevin Costner, and that's fine. They shouldn't have to. But um, I was, I was. Though we should absolutely be circulating that's neat on totally. Twitter at all times. But like, like, I enjoyed that best director thing because it's just like, yeah, it's like Kevin Costner being a little bit pompous, but like, that's kind of what we have a Kevin Costner for. And he's like, it's ultimately <laughs> harmless. And I, I don't know. I very much enjoyed that. So, yeah. All right. IMDb uh, game. Uh, yes, tell the listeners what the IMDb game is. All right, every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game, where we challenge each other with an actor or actress and try and guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television, voice-only performances, or non-acting credits, we mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue, and if that is not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints. And it's the IMDb game. Uh, how are we doing it this week? Are you going to guess first? Am I going to guess first? I'll, What's I'll have you guess first. Okay, what do you have? So, Mike Binder, we have talked about uh, his movies leading up to 
the upside of anger. The one we didn't really mention very much was uh, we also didn't mention black or white that happened after this. That was that like, also starred Kevin yikes. Costner that I saw at TIFF of my own volition. Yikes town. Yes, not a good movie. Uh, that is a, another movie that like perhaps shouldn't be wielding the subject matter that it's wielding, where it's just like maybe Mike Binder shouldn't be weighing in on uh, racial family politics to the degree that he right. is. But anyway. Um, he made that movie Rain Over Me that I've never seen uh, with Adam Adam Sandler and Don Cheadle. And I did not realize, also in that movie, who we have not ever done a IMDb game on, which is a little bit surprising, is Jada Pinkett Smith. Ah, yes. Four films. I will say none of them are G.I. Jane Part 2. So uh, you are free. To guess any of the others, yes. Set it off. No. Fuck off. Yep. Not set You have it off. got to be kidding me. I know. You picked that intentionally because you knew I would guess I that first. I maybe did. <laughs> Girls trip. No! <laughs> oh, God. I hate you. Two strikes. Okay, so your re- remaining years. I'm so sorry. I thought I was going to come in uh-huh. here. The second you said Jada Pinkett Smith, I was like, boom, uh-huh. another perfect score. Two weeks in a row. All right. Your years are 1997, 2003, 2003 again, and 2004. Wow. Uh, Scream 2. Scream 2 is your 1997, yes. Two 2003 movies and a 2004 movie. These are all, like, back-to-back. What the hell are these going to be? I know that I know what they are. It's just, like, these are not the... This is not the Jada I think of. Right. It's a it's a wild known for. Wow. Okay. It's I a mean, known they, for that they, ultimately they... makes some bit of sense once you will step back from it and see them. But, like, it's, it's still surprising that... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of these has to be, like, her supporting role in a blockbuster type of movie. Um, I'm just mad. I am I, I am mad. I... I'm sorry okay. to do that to you, but I knew I could I could I could walk down the path of where things were going to go. This is I... the shit I do to you. Yes, so it's it is. Fine. Yes, it is. Um, mm-hmm. OK, oh, three, oh, four. What's happening in an oh, three and oh, four? Um, we did a whole mini series on 03. I don't, I doubt that it was any of the movies we would have talked about. It's too late for the nutty professor. That was like 98 ish. Maybe it was like 97. Um, which nutty professor is, is she the Aaliyah year the or the, one. right. Cause Janet, Janet does it's the song Janet for Jackson the one that Janet's in. in. Yes. So she's um, in the year with, uh, um, are you that somebody? Right. That's Dr. Doolittle. Are you I'm sorry, you're movie? totally right. I was thinking of the wrong Eddie Murphy movie. You're totally right. Is Dr. Doolittle one of them? Is no. she the love interest? She's in Dr. not. Doolittle? I don't I think, think she think is so. the love interest in Dr. Doolittle. Um, he only loves the animals in Dr. Doolittle. I need some more hints. Okay. Um, you're on the right track about a smaller role in a blockbuster movie. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. no. It's Matrix Revolutions and uh, Matrix. Uh, 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 I am going to make you 
come up with the title. <laughs> Me, the Revolutions Defender, uh, says Revolutions first. Yep. It's reloaded. Yeah, and both of the, those are both of your 2003 yeah. movies. Uh, being a Revolutions Can Defender is about, psychotic. I know we've talked so much about Drag Race. Can we talk about in All Winners the uh, Jada in Matrix inspired look that Jada Essence Hall did? My God, incredible. It was great. Love Jada. Yeah. Matrix Revolutions is almost unwatchable. But yes, anyway, continue. Fuck you. Reloaded Reloaded is underrated. Matrix Revolutions was correctly assessed at the time. I understand why people hate Revolutions because it has almost... It it has so little to do with the, like, headline characters. But Revolutions is a good movie. Um, Anyway, 2004. Um, 2004. 2004 was an Oscar nominee in acting. Not for her, obviously. She right. has a small role in this. Like it's she's probably fourth or fifth build. Oh, is um It's not Ali, is it? It's not. That was 2001. Okay. Um Oh, it's Collateral. It is Collateral. Michael Mann's Collateral. She's great in Collateral. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. If you were to say, give me the four movies that you most think of Jada Pinkett Smith for, Collateral is not in the top ten. I'm sorry. Like No. This is this is this is this proves my point that the IMDB algorithm sometimes is led by dudes and bros, and it sucks. Like that is entirely why this is so known for. Scream 2, the only people I, I ever see... the Matrix movies. The only people I ever see talking about Scream 2 in 2023 are the homosexuals on my Twitter feed, and good for them, because it's a great movie. Um, but it is a franchise. Yes. Oh, yes, it is a franchise. Yes, I think, in general, it is surprising that it's not set it off. She's not even in Ali, but she's in one of Will Smith's, like, prestige I think she movies. is in Ali. I think she has a very small role in Ali. I'm pretty sure. No, she's she's in one of his prestige movies. I just forget which one it is. It is Ali. I'm literally looking at it on her. Jesus Christ. Right Justice for Set It Off. Justice for I Girls know. Trip. I know. She's also a voice in Madagascar. Didn't realize that. Um, yeah. Magic Mike Double XL. Come on. Where is that in this whole situation? I mean, my God. Um, I love Jada. Remember when she was in that... Uh, uh, I believe TNT series Hawthorne, where she's a registered nurse, n- registered nurse, and so the RN in Hawthorne got like stylized really big. Come on, listeners! You can tell Joe and I apart because Joe watched the television program. Hawthorne. I didn't watch Hawthorne. This is the thing: I can be aware of television shows that exist and have never watched a second of. That is, uh, uh, wait. This is a safe space. You can confess that you watched. Wait, Hawthorne wait, I'm sharing my screen. Hold on a second, because I want you to see this. Oh, I know. I know the key art. Okay. Of all right. Hawthorne. I am familiar. I love that. I tried to <laughs> share screen and it just said host has disabled screen sharing. That was you being like, oh, no, I'm good. Oh, <laughs> I don't need no, to see that. I don't, I don't know the settings of our How dare you home. accuse me of watching Hawthorne? What a horrible thing for you to There's worse say things about of me, me to accuse you. You have definitely watched way worse TV than Hawthorne. That's probably true. That's probably true. All right. Listeners get an Armenchies if you watch the program Hawthorne. She's a registered nurse, everybody. <laughs> so for you, uh, I am pulling somebody who we have done before, but in a very early episode. I was going through, since this is a motion picture where Joan Allen has not one, not two, not three, but four daughters, I was going through the cinematic history of 
Joan Allen Daughters, and I pulled up for you none other than the iconic Christina Ricci. Oh, yes. Okay. My first celebrity crush, can I say that, when I was a kid? Sure, I think, I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people fit right into that, uh, that age range. Okay. I do think the Adams family. Wait, is there any television? Is there any television? There's no television, I would have told you. Okay. All right. So not the Adams family. I do feel no. like there is a non-zero chance that Adams Family Values exists with on that list and not the Adams Family at this point, but I'm gonna I'm going to play the long game there. Um The thing about Christina Rich Oh, you know what I'm gonna guess, because I do feel like this has come up in other people's IMDb games, is Sleepy Hollow. Incorrect. Damn! Okay, what are my years? Good movie. Um 1995, 1998, 2006, and 2008. That's a lot of 2000s for Christina Ricci. <laughs> All right. What was the first one? 1995. Now and then. No. Really? Casper? Casper. Wild. Okay. So no that's Adams Family Values, though. Good. So no Adams Family, no Wednesday Adams in general. That's that's nope. wild. What was the next year in chronologically? 98. Opposite of sex. No. <laughs> okay, she was only in three movies that year that all had acclaim. So um, I, it's either Pecker or Buffalo 66, and it's going to annoy me that it's Buffalo 66. It is Buffalo 66. Piece I may be picked this just to annoy you. Piece of shit movie. Vincent Gallo can fuck himself. Okay, what are the other two? Uh, 2006 and 2008. 2006 and 2008. Is 2006 Black Snake Moan? It's Black Snake Moan. That's crazy! <laughs> <laughs> Black Snake Moan, I don't even think that's streaming anywhere. Sometimes I'm like, these things just got on streaming and they like took off yeah. on streaming. I don't think that movie has ever been like, you know, 2008 off on Netflix. 2008's a challenge. Is it like obscure? No. No? It's very much. Oh, it's Speed Racer. It is the very good, excellent speed. I racer. believe you. Listen, I did not care for it the first time I watched it, but I'm willing to to concede the fact that I uh, watched it wrong. A lot um, of Wachowskis in the um, IMDb game today. Very, I rewatched yeah. Elvis yesterday, and I'm like, this really is the speed racer of biopics. It really is. <laughs> it's sure. anti-capitalist. It is, uh, you know. Sure. On drugs, it's <laughs> colorful and fast. Yes, uh, our Elvis. All right, couple of challenging uh, IMDb games. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so everyone, that's our episode. If you want more of this head Oscar buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thisheadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. Please also follow us on Instagram at thisheadoscarbuzz, and you should also follow us on Twitter at had underscore oscar underscore buzz. Joe, where can the listeners find more of you? I am on Twitter and Letterboxd at Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D. I am also on Twitter and Letterboxd at Chris V. File, that's F-E-I-L. We'd like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Kevin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get podcasts. Five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcasts visibility, so also give us the visibility of uh, which one of us is who. Uh, leave a nice review <laughs> saying how you can tell the two of us apart. That's oh, all for this boy. week. We hope you'll be back next week for or more buzz.